by Bach, played by Paul, and I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce my guest's surname. Is it Paul Trepter or Paul Trepti? Both are correct. Uh, it really should be Trepter because it's a German name, but nobody actually pronounces it like that. Everybody says Trepti, so you're right on both counts. And one can tell from your accent immediately, Paul, that you're from um, up north. Can you? I thought I'd got rid of that. But you're absolutely right, I was born and bred in Morley, which is just outside Leeds. And quite a circuitous route to uh, get to Ely Cathedral, a post from which you're retiring. But first can I ask you about the Bach, what was it we heard just then? That was the end of the wedge, as it's called, one of Bach's most famous preludes and fugues. And it was the piece that I elected to play when I auditioned to go to New College Oxford. It was my audition piece to become organ scholar there. And I remember having a, a very interesting conversation with my teacher, Donald Hunt, who was my teacher and mentor. And he said, well, you know, you need to choose a piece by Bach. You need to choose one that is not right up there with the most well-known of all, and also something which is technically pretty dazzling. <laughs> so we had a little think about what that actually meant and he said go away and learn the wedge so I went away and learned the, the wedge and one thing I've always felt you know is that when you learn a piece of music when you're young so I would have been what 16 17 at the time your finger memory stays with you so I can play the wedge other preludes and fuse which I may have learned later well I hope I can play those as well but probably not quite so confidently as the wedge which is kind of ingrained into my musical psyche it's I think it's probably remained my favorite prelude and fugue by Bach and why Paul is it called the wedge because of the what you heard right at the beginning if I just play this beginning again it, and you can you can look at this because you're sat with me in the organ loft. It look it looks and sounds like a wedge Yes, all up and, up and down. Up very, and down, yes, yep. that's right. Ex ex Ooh, oh, I've very, I, very nicely played yourself there on the pedals. What did I do? I, I pedaled something. Yes, you I? did. Very nice. Very <laughs> fine. So, uh, on your email, which all of us are governed by these days, it said Director of Music, but I gather the official title is Organist and... Director of the Choristers, is that right? Or Master of the Choristers? Yeah, well, I was appointed as Organist and Master of the Choristers. And at some point, that has just morphed into Director of Music. I never got a letter saying, we now want to change your title. But that's what I've always been called from some unknown time. I don't even know when it changed. Well, you mentioned uh, Oxford, which is where you basically did your degree, I imagine. It is, that's correct. And then you stayed sort of to the, the west of England. I did. And once again, I come back to, I, men I mentioned Donald Hunt, who was my boyhood tutor. And also at that time, he was the organist of, at Leeds Parish Church, where I was a chorister. And then he was appointed to Worcester Cathedral. And when I was in my fourth year doing my second degree at New College, Oxford, the position of assistant organist at Worcester came up and Donald asked me if I'd like to apply for that and uh, yeah that's when my career began and I got that posting to Worcester where I um, had some wonderful experiences of course working with the Three Choirs Festival and in my role as assistant organist at Worcester Cathedral I also ran 
the Worcester Cathedral Voluntary Choir, which gave me a lot of experience, which I was going to need in later life. I was running it, therefore one learnt how to deal with chorister parents, one learnt how to plan music lists, how to deal with musical issues, how to deal with human beings, which, which is what this job is even more about, actually, than music making. <laughs> And uh, you worked, I know, with Herbert Howells as well at one point. I did. I came across Herbert Howells through my membership of the National Youth Orchestra. And uh, I was a percussionist and general musician in the orchestra. And um, general musicians had composition lessons if they composed, and I, and I was a composer. So I got to know Herbert, who, who used to look at my compositions and gave me wonderful lessons and fantastic encouragement at the time, and then I went on to have some private lessons with him later as well. The title um, assistant organist always confuses me, or did, mm. um, because that really means you are the organist, and the... Yeah, it does. The and organist is the director, sort of thing. And I could tell you something else. We've just appointed, because I'm going, so my successor here is my assistant organist, so he's done very well, so that's great. <laughs> and who's that? And that is Edmund Aldhouse, so he will be the new man from the day after Easter Day, and he will become the director of music, and he has just appointed not an assistant organist, but an assistant director of music, which probably does the job better in terms of what that new man is going to have to, to do. It's your birthday very soon after your final day here and a, a rather important wedding anniversary. Absolutely right. And it's going to be our Ruby wedding anniversary. And we settled on Easter Day, the 21st of April, our Ruby wedding anniversary for this reason. It's always been the case that it's been the job first and the family life second. So we know that even though it's our Ruby wedding anniversary on Easter Day, we can't really celebrate it in the way that we might want to celebrate such a, an occasion because there are bigger things to celebrate for the church. So we hit on the idea of, OK, so let's do the big Easter Day services and go out on that wonderful opportunity for such a high in terms of music making. And then the next day, we will have a slightly delayed Ruby wedding anniversary. And at that stage, I won't be worried about the music of the next term anymore because my retirement will be immediately after Evensong on Easter Day. Very tidy. I <laughs> think we thought it was absolutely right. We both hit on the idea when we were together and thinking about it and thinking about important anniversaries and things we wanted to do and almost in the same breath my wife and I came up with that date so we know we got that one right. So 30 years more or less here, yes. quite a time. How has uh, life in the cathedral changed? Well immensely of course. So many things I could tell you about that. I need to write a book about that. What I'm, go I'm going to answer it in a roundabout way instead because what I like to say in response always to that question is that the lovely thing is what has not changed rather than what has changed. Because that is what this particular lifestyle and job is all about. And it's about the daily worship of the cathedral and the wonderful music tradition associated with it in this utterly outstanding and inspiring building. So 
what has not changed is that virtually every day, at least during school terms here, there will be a robed choir. It may be boys and men or it may be girls and men. But there will be a robed choir turning up to sing the daily office at 5.30pm on a weekday. No matter what the weather, no matter what else has happened, they will be there. And the more that I've experienced this, the more it's become to me to be a daily miracle. Because I think that in this day and age, I can't really think of anything equivalent, particularly for the children, where they are required to be here, and they will be here, because they love doing what they do, and they understand what their job actually is. So it's that, it's that continuity of what we're actually doing, which is the thing which has not changed. And I find that a much more interesting thing than all of, obviously things have changed. Like when I first arrived here, there were a handful of clergy, about three or four people helping out in the office, no computers. Now we have an immense staff running the cathedral. And if you asked me how much busier it is compared with the time when I arrived, I would have to say without exaggeration, there is at least 10 times the, the workload. I don't complain about that, although some of the content of the workload is not necessarily what a musician might ideally want. But I mentioned a moment ago, if you're dealing with people, you have to move with the times, and you have to move with all of the legislations, all the requirements. One understands all of that, but the, but the thing that's always kept me inspired and loving what I do is that feeling that every single day you can make music. And there, there aren't many people who can say that, and it's different music every day. You're not doing the same old stuff all of the time. And even if you're doing, like I am, a piece of music for, I don't know, the 20th time, at least, some of these pieces, there's always a small boy there who's never actually heard that particular piece before and has to discover it for the first time. And I like to look at the music through the eyes of that small child and, and encourage everybody else to do exactly the same. Because whatever, whatever we're doing, whatever we're performing, we need to encourage people to think it's the best thing since sliced bread at that particular moment. Everything has got to be good and everything has got to be people giving the best that they possibly can at a really, really difficult time of day because, you know, you get to 5.30 in the evening when we do choral evensong in our cathedrals in this country, certainly here, that's the time when everybody is completely exhausted at the end of the day. The kids have just had a really long day at school. Something might have gone wrong. Adults have just fought their way through the traffic. I myself and my assistant and the other musicians have worked all day doing all kinds of different things. We're exhausted, but I always say, if I don't look as though I've just got up to do the job, I can't expect anybody else to be stimulated. But I suppose at the end of a, a working day, it is in a, some sense a release. Of course it's a release in, in many ways, but it's also, of course, a big responsibility uh, because it's, it, it's my job as director of music, any, any choir director's job, is to be able to harness energy and if the energy levels are quite low uh, at that time, the first thing you've got to do is to actually stimulate that. 
So that's a really, really important aspect of it. What, Paul, have been the highlights of your, well, 30 years, three decades here? Well, you see, I'm going to answer that question in a very similar kind of way because people might expect me to, to remember a massive concert or the joy of conducting, I don't know, a very requiem. Yes, I've done that in either cathedral, and there have been huge excitements. We've had royalty, we've had grand occasions, we've had the cathedral full to busting with people. Huge occasions have been part of what we do, but that's not what I'm going to remember. What I'm actually going to remember is the beauty of a quiet cathedral on a Tuesday night, maybe, in winter, when there's hardly anybody in the building and, and again, that miracle happens. The choir lines up, goes in to do its job and something very special might happen. Somehow everybody just feels, yes, we know our music really well tonight and just occasionally you get that feeling as a conductor that you can completely rely on people getting it all right in terms of, of technical requirement. And at that moment, I can actually myself worship through the music. And that's, that's what it's all about. Now, you'll say, well, aren't you worshipping all of the time? And I would say, well, that's not my job. My job is to enable other people to worship. And I keep telling the choir exactly the same message. That's why they, they don't exist to worship. They exist to enable other people to have that experience. And... The mechanics of that are very, very complex and often one is completely absorbed in where's the next note, are we singing flat, are we singing sharp, is it rhythmic at the moment, are we listening to each other, is there too much bass, is that chap singing too loud, is that, why has that boy just fainted, what's the problem, <laughs> why has he just been sick in the middle of a service, well that doesn't happen very often but I've seen it, there are all these kind of things to uh, take into account as a normality. So if you get that wonderful special occasion, then those are the ones that I'm going to remember more than anything else, rather than the big bombast. I'm not one for bombast. I'm one for just getting on with the main job. And when did you actually decide to retire? Because you're coming up to, what, 65? Correct. Which is, in our generation, retirement age. Yeah, um, but I think the, um, the point is that you people just know professionally when it's right to hand on and allow a place like Ely to move on to the next stage. And I want to go while things are good, while I'm still doing the job well. And I also want to go at a time in my life where I can do more music making in a different way. The job has been so busy here that there are th things have gone by the wayside. I also love composition. And I've done a lot of composition, but not nearly as much as I would like to. And so in my next phase, I don't like the R word, <laughs> the retirement word. I like to say I'm stepping down rather than retiring. I shall want to discover the answer to this question. Am I somebody who can compose music? Or am I a composer, somebody who needs to compose I don't know the answer to that question yet, and I want to find out. The reason I don't know the answer is because I know I am somebody who can compose. So if somebody says, write a piece for the bishop's installation, that's great, I love doing that, but I'd rather now find out, can I just write a symphony? 
and I don't know the answer to that question yet. So I want to find that out. I want to uh, do more teaching. I haven't done that for a very long time because there just hasn't been time. I want to do more examining because I have uh, do quite a lot of that. But most important of all, I want to go and watch cricket. Right. And are you going to stay in Ely? We're going to stay in Ely certainly in the first instance because we... First of all, we're going to take ourselves off on a nice holiday. Then we're delighted that we're going to have the birth of our first grandchild. So we're really looking forward to that. Although that wasn't part of the plan. It's just, it's just <laughs> it come happened. along at, yes. in exact, at exactly the right time. And then I've got to go off and do some examining abroad. So that's nice. So it's all kind of organised up until the autumn. And that's going to give us time to resettle and get used to not being in this constant rhythm of getting up in the morning to rehearse little boys at eight o'clock in the morning that's i'm going to miss that like mad more than anything else but i know that there is a life after that and i need to discover the rhythm of the new life well may i wish you a happy stepping down thank you and a happy birthday and perhaps most importantly to you a happy wedding anniversary that's very kind thank you very much indeed